It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. Welcome to the Be The People Show. We have a show today that is so timely because it's looking at the experiences of police officers today in the era of Black Lives Matter. We hear all of these uh, demands and we see the protests of people who are out there on the streets uh, trying to burn down buildings, and in some cases, burning down buildings, killing people, uh, demanding that cities and localities defund the police, that social workers can do a better job. My guest today is someone who would disagree. He's someone who has put his life on the line for many years and is also doing so today from a different vantage point. I'd like to introduce you to Joseph Pangaro. Joseph is a retired police lieutenant from the township of Ocean in New Jersey, which is Monmouth County. And he has served as a police officer or, or have been in a law enforcement career for 27 years. He's also the host of Chasing Justice, which is a radio show on the America Out Loud Network. And this show, Be the People, is also on America Out Loud, as well as on some radio shows uh, across the country. So help me to welcome Lieutenant Joseph Pangara to the Be the People show. And Joseph, thank you for being on the show and for putting your life on the line for people like me. Carol, I want to thank you very much for having me on and giving me an opportunity to, to speak to your audience and kind of let people know what it's like out there. And it's, it's very nice of you to say thank you. But like most officers that are out there, we do it because it's, it's something we believe in, something that needs to be done, and we're privileged to be able to do the work. Well, Joseph, uh, when you look on TV, and let's go back uh, to George Floyd's death, but we could go back earlier. We could go back to Micah Brown and Ferguson. Uh, tell us what it's like to be a police officer and how policing has changed in your lifetime. When I first came on the job in 1985, I was a young kid. I had never really considered going into law enforcement. I kind of found my way into it. I thought it was something that was interesting. I could use my natural skill sets in. And what I found at the time was the way law enforcement was viewed was very, very highly appreciated by everyone. The cops that I got involved with, we really wanted to do the right thing. And you got this feeling you could actually make a difference. I remember my wife, before I took the job, uh, I was yelling at the news one night. And she says, instead of yelling at the news, why don't you go do something? And that's kind of how I, I found myself into law enforcement. Well, probably one of the best examples I could give you, Carol, is I remember going to court. And when I went into court in the late 1980s, if I walked in as a police officer and I said, the sky is orange and there's two moons out there, everybody would look at each other and say, gee, I thought the sky was blue and there was one moon. But if the cop said it, it must be true. And that's right. kind of the way they looked at it. And I'm going to go back. So 
a lot of the law enforcement officials that I know, and I have relationships with some, I've spoken to police departments in various places, they come from law enforcement families. So that wasn't the case for you. Not necessarily. I had one uncle uh, who was a police officer in a very small, short town here in New Jersey. Um, and there was not a lot of crime in his town. There was not a lot of crime in the town I grew up in. Um, but I always thought that when I spoke to him and he talked about, hey, at least I'm making a difference. That's what kind of clicked in my head uh, when I was trying to decide how could I do something good with my life and decided and, to go to law enforcement. And how old were you when you made that decision? And what was taking place in the world 27 years ago? Well, it's, uh, it's longer ago than that. Um, 1985, let's see, my, my son Joseph had just been born. And that was one of the, the real pushes for me to do the right thing. How am I going to set an example for this young man that instead of just talking about things, I did it. In the world is the crack academic, epidemic was really starting to take off. When I got into law enforcement, I, I was not hired by my local town. I went to a town further from here that actually had crime. Uh, there were homicides, there were drug activity, there was sexual assaults. It, it was a, a, a whole group of actual criminal activity that took place. And it was amazing for me to be pushed into the middle of that, to have to deal with all different kinds of people and situations totally different than I had any experience in. And that was the greatest learning experience for me, how to deal with different people in different situations that was not necessarily what I grew up with. And uh, Joseph, uh, for the sake of our audience, uh, you appear to be Caucasian. In other words, you're white. We hear a lot about race and racism. Can you talk about uh, how race played out on the streets back when you started as a police officer and how you all were trained back then? Sure. Um, I am a Caucasian, you know, and jumping into the, to the situation was uh, the police department at that time there were, there were no African-American guys or girls on the police department, but the surrounding communities uh, around my town were, were very diverse communities. And all of a sudden, I'm dealing with people from different cultures, different races that were not part of my life experience. You know, I didn't shun them. I just didn't have opportunity to interact. And now I'm, I'm pushed into the middle of this. And I had to learn quickly how to deal with people. And immediately, there was a little bit of tension that you know, who are you showing up at my house? You don't know me, you know anything about me, accusing me of things that were completely inappropriate, as though I had motivations beyond just doing my job. Uh, if I showed up at somebody's house for whatever reason, I was there to handle the problem, solve the crime, assist them as a victim. And a lot of times I was accused of, uh, of doing things, you know, racially motivated, when that had nothing to do and that was shocking to me like I didn't I did not expect that when I got on the job I thought I'm here to help you or sorry you did something wrong I'm going to take you into custody like I take anybody into custody probably one of the most shocking experiences I had I had a um, a mom had, a, had like about a 12 year old son who was shoplifting at the mall and I went in and I had to take this young man and bring him to the police station and call his parents to come pick him up like you do with any kid when they shoplift and the kid wouldn't give me his real name. And I said, you know, he's giving me all kinds of crazy names. So I call his mother on the phone and I said, what's your son's name? And she says, what name did he tell you? I said, I'm not asking you that. What is his name? She says, whatever name he told you. I said, well, let me I, ask I mean, you this. How did you have his mother's number if uh, he wasn't he wanted, he wanted to name. go home and he thought he could talk to mom and mom would just come and get him. 
Okay. Unfortunately, mom wasn't playing that game either. And finally, okay. I, I said, "Ma'am, you got you got to just tell me your son's name, or I can't let him out of here." She says, "Tell him to call his father." And she hung up on me. And I was just, I had never had an experience like that with with a twelve year old kid using different names to get out from under, because I, I never understood that kind of a thing. I never was involved in crime. So that was kind of strange. And then the dad showed up and he says, listen, I'm really sorry. Um, my wife gave you such a hard time. My son shouldn't have done it. And he was exactly like me. He's just a dad and he's worried about his kid. But the, his mom took a totally different place on it. She didn't think it was right that he was arrested and she wasn't going to help me at all. And I had to say, well, why, why would that happen? Why would somebody feel that way? Well, that's where I started to realize that not everybody had the experience with law enforcement that I had. Well, it sounds to me like you all were not trained at all back then uh, about how to deal with diverse communities. And so I guess if you're the minority living in the inner city and you see an all-white police force, that you do feel, you know, that you are put upon by this group. And you might see today they yell about white supremacy and there's a hatred in some communities of police officers, but police forces have never been more diverse than they are today. Absolutely. Uh, in my last, last couple of years on the force, there was a big push to make sure we were more diversified, to bring in minority members, to bring in women into the job. And, and I always saw that at, when I was a detective, I found such value in that, that that was my big push to my agency. Because I learned from my experience that I, just because I had no experience there didn't mean I shouldn't know about it and understand other points of view and bringing in people with different points of view, different life experiences can only help a police agency to do the right things. So having people that could speak to other communities, I could learn how to do that. I could see how that is. I could be introduced that I'm not the enemy. I'm just doing my job. And I didn't realize this was, this is how uh, your culture did things. Well, that's good. Here's how my culture does things and we can blend and it got much, much better. And you're right. Today, we're more diverse than, than we ever have been. Well, let me ask you this too. How long on the job did it take you to learn how to interact with the minority community that was pretty foreign to you back in the 1980s? Well, I'm going to say, you know, to give it a timeline and say six months, nine months, three years, I don't know that I can do that. I just know that what I always connected with was no matter who the person was, we connected because we, we had things in common. So if it was somebody that I arrested, I would start to understand it's probably scary to be arrested, right? It's probably uncomfortable to be arrested because there's lots of things to worry about. Am I going to go to jail? I don't have bail money. I don't have a lawyer. What, you know, what's going to happen to me? So I'd have to understand that. And that's how I would try and connect to that person and say, listen, you know, you did the right thing. Just tell me the truth here and let me see what I can do to try and help you. And I, I tried to be as, as good a law enforcement officer as I could and treat people like that. Find out what's in common. And that's how people would start to talk to you. And they say, oh, you know, you're not so bad. You're not so bad. I, I'm not so bad. I'm really not so bad. You know what? You're not so bad. No, of course I'm not so bad. We have so much more in common than we have different. And you're right. There was not a lot of training back then on cultural differences. You were taught the law and you, you go out and enforce the law. And they didn't tell you, well, you enforce the law with this group one way and this group another way. You just enforce the law. But it was up to the officers to understand there's differences in how people see things. And when you can figure that out, you can be much more effective as law enforcement. 
Well, Joseph, like one of the things that I think has hurt the relationship between police and minority communities and maybe some other people in the community at large uh, is the fact that sometimes we get transcripts of conversations between officers and they're using racial stereotypes. Uh, is that something that officers just naturally do? And even when they were talking about whites or, or Hispanics or Asians, uh, did they just use slang language against everyone or were they more likely to use uh, uh, ethnic stereotypes against blacks? Now, I would have to say that it was everybody because even, even when we dealt with people of different races and I would have them and they would call me names. They would talk to each other about me when I was sitting there. Uh, you know, I'm a this or I'm a that. I think we've gotten more enlightened since then to understand that words are powerful. You know, at the time, a word, a word has always been a weapon that can hurt somebody. But you always say, well, you know, well, people say a certain word and, and what's the difference? It's a word. Until you start to realize that word has power and that word can really hurt someone. Well, you know what? I don't like being called names. So you right. start to think, wait a minute. Okay, what are we using that word for? Well, we're using it to, to hurt somebody. Just the reason that person used this word against me. We all have to have an understanding that words have power. Words mean things. And that's, that's part of the stuff I teach about is that it's important to understand that. And why would you say something to hurt somebody right. for no reason? If you, once you know it hurts them, why would you say it anymore? You know, right. so I think every group uses those kind of words about every other group. I think it's just a natural thing that goes on much less now than it ever did because people start to understand you, you really shouldn't say those things. Well, I, I believe so. People are, have learned not to say those things. We can't control what they think. And as a child and as a young adult, and you've heard this expression, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But if you look at political correctness and everything that's taking place today in our society with microaggressions, which are perceived slights, uh, words have become weaponized. And so we, we've also taught people to give words more power than I think they should have. We're going to go to a break. And when we return, I want to talk about Black Lives Matter and some of the groups like Antifa and what you're doing to combat that. What if there was a book that took the mystery out of prayer, one that made it easier for people to pray God's Word with miraculous results? There is such a book, Joy Lamb's The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God is a handbook that has changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. You can order your life-changing copy from Joy Lamb's website, thesowardofthespiritbook.com. Order Joy's book and listen to her audio prayers while you're there. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm back with my guest, Joseph Pangara, and we're talking about law enforcement. And Joseph has had a long career 
and he's retired now. And Joseph, um, I know that you're involved with, uh, you have several organizations uh, that you yourself have founded or been a part of as a founding partner. Uh, the landscape for offices that's changed dramatically. What uh, do you make of Black Lives Matter and Antifa and how do you train people to address groups like this when they run into them as far as an encounter on the streets? The problem that we have, all of us, is that we have to understand that uh, ideas and movements can be uh, usurped for other purposes. So the whole idea of Black Lives Matter is absolutely legitimate, of course. And, I, and I've come to understand it, like I said, not my experience. Some communities feel that they are over-policed, which has been a topic that I have talked about a lot. Over-policing results when there's a lot of crime in an area, that's where all the cops go. You know, if there's no crime, you don't see any police. So I've always imagined that if my son, every time he left the house, uh, got pulled over and questioned because uh, there was crime in the neighborhood, I'd be pretty annoyed by that. But that doesn't happen. But in communities, it does. So I can see where people would have that feeling. You know, looking at it, Black Lives Matter, the, the slogan is brilliant. What goes on behind the scenes? What are they using it for? Because I know there's millions of people, especially now, people are enlightened. We're trying to find a way to get along. And who, who doesn't want to jump into that? I know you feel it's been a horrible thing. So, we're, okay, let's connect. But you know what? There's groups behind it that are using that goodwill for negative things. And that's never brought out. We right. never see that. Um, you know, Antifa, I don't see anything good going on there. They I, are simply trying to destroy our nation and tear our, our country down and put all of us at each other's throat. That is a dangerous terrorist organization as far as I can see. Uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter group, we have to look a little closer at who they are. And the thing about Black Lives Matter, the political left, they are geniuses when it comes to naming organizations. So just like you said, Black Lives Matter, that's a true statement, uh, just like all lives matter. And I say, of course, Black Lives Matter, Black lives are a subset of all lives. And it shouldn't be hate speech for you to say all lives matter, blue lives matter. And so they have taken a slogan or a set of words that are true and politicized it and made it a weapon. And Antifa and Black Lives Matter, the organization, that's the dangerous entity. And I would say that Black Lives Matter organization that's being funded by a lot of corporations and businesses who pay them shakedown money, that uh, they are on par with Antifa. And they're getting away with a lot because of America's racial history. Absolutely. And not only that, the difference there, I can talk about Antifa and I can, I can give my opinion about Antifa. If you say anything negative about Black Lives Matter, people immediately think you're talking about our African-American brothers and sisters, that I'm somehow disparaging them when I'm talking about the organization. So therefore, if you say the wrong thing, you could lose your job. You could lose your position in, in, in the community. You could lose your family's standing. Could, you will. Well, you will. <laughs> and that's, that is the political correctness danger you spoke about. And that is why all these companies are, are, are paying all this money. It's kind of protection money. Hey, look, we gave a lot of money. Don't, don't come after us. Political correctness is driving all of us into the ground. And it affects all of us 
every single American, not just one group or another. By silencing one person, you silence everyone. And that's really the purpose of this. And you know, Joseph, too, is that uh, it used to be when you saw a police officer in a uniform, a certain measure of respect went with that. Whether it was a white or black, you know, you respected the uniform, uh, the police officer. And nowadays, when a police officer gets dressed for work, I don't know how they feel when they step outside. I don't know if there's pride or if there's shame in putting on that blue uniform. I think it's only fair for me to say that, you know, and I hate that we have to cover this every single time. Uh, but the reality is there are, there are some cops who, who don't do the right thing. That's just That's true. Just like in any group, there's cops that don't do the right thing. That is such a small minority of our police officers in America of every race. But it's difficult because cops go out there and you know, we don't have these meetings in the morning. Hey, let's go after these guys. And then today, let's go get these guys. They, they want to do the right thing. They try to do the right thing. And this is in general what they because I was there. I understood it. We wanted to help. We want to do the right thing. Today, they feel unvalued. They feel like that uniform is a target now. They feel this hatred coming from all these communities now. It's not just one or two. It's everyone. It's, it's popular now. You know, F the cops, hate the cops, go throw bottles at the cops. Could you imagine that that 10 years ago doing that? I, I can't even I can't even imagine because that if you attack a cop, you'll attack anyone. Well, here's the thing, too, that we've seen take place. And I talk often about critical race theory. They argue that racism is permanent, that all white people are privileged, that they have, um, you know, all of this property value in their whiteness and that the only way that they can redeem themselves is to be anti-racist and divest themselves of their whiteness, divest themselves of their skin color. So what you see on the news now, you see Black Lives Matter, but you see a lot of white folks. You know, they're the ones burning the buildings and tearing down the property and saying F the cops. And they look like they come from very affluent families. Mom and dad can get them out, out of jail. And that uh, is, you know, new. And I think that there are a lot of black people in America that are not on board with what they see coming from Black Lives Matter, especially when they look on TV and they see a bunch of affluent white kids. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, uh, I deal with a lot of college age people uh, with what I'm doing. And there is a, a vehemence that these, these young white kids have that they are now so woke to doing the right thing that like they're losing they're losing perspective on what's going on here. It's, uh, you know, it's good that this younger generation really seems probably the most enlightened of all of us. We, they're finally getting it. Everybody's finally getting it. We're trying to get along, but they're being used in, in, many, in many instances. They're being used and that, that good feeling they have is being played. And that's what people, most people don't see behind the scenes is, you know, who's pulling the strings. People got something good going. How do we take advantage of it? And that's, that's what I see with some of the movement that's going on. And our universities and colleges and some of our private schools and, and certainly the public schools, they are responsible for so much of the out of control youth who are trying to be woke. And the white youth, many of them hate their skin color. And I heard about a young woman who told her parents, she's raised in a conservative Christian home Mom, why did you all do this to me? Why did you raise me with such privilege? And, um, they, you know, that's just ludicrous uh, and sad. 
that you would have young people that uh, would be ashamed of the fact that they have two parents and they lived in a middle-class neighborhood and they've not had to contend with uh, poverty. You know, it's, it's, you do see a lot of that and you see a lot of these, these younger people that I talk to, they're guilted into the fact that they were born white in a middle-class family. What I have always said is uh, I started out from very, very meager beginnings. My father passed early and I made a life for myself and my family. And we've gotten to a position where we, we can live a good life. And you hear it even from, you know, people close that, uh, you know, well, we actually got it really good. Maybe said, I worked for this and now you have a responsibility from this to do good things. You've been given an opportunity. Now you can do good things. I always wanted to do good things. I didn't have a nickel to rub together to do a good thing. Now I do. So that's a responsibility of moving along to try and help other people. But some of these kids are so brainwashed into just feeling guilty about, they, uh, right. about who they are. They, 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 that's absolutely right. And it's sad. And for those that are Christians, and a lot of my audience would be a Christian audience, we think that all men and women are made in God's image. And we don't get to choose our race or our families and all of those things about ourselves. And for those that were born and raised in a strong two-parent family, we would consider that a blessing, not something to be ashamed of. Everything that you have in your life, whether it seems like it or not, is a blessing one way or another from God. He's given you challenges. He's given you opportunities. It, it, you have to interpret them right and do the right thing with them, you know, no matter what it is, to overcome or to be an example of that or to help people. You know, it's a, it's a tough world for, for these younger people to try and decipher all of this. And there's no, nobody backing it up. Everyone's afraid to say anything. You can't say anything to argue with them because, like you said, you will lose your job. You will be ostracized. Why? Because you spoke against the orthodoxy and you can't do that. Which but Joseph, I have to tell you that uh, it applies to black people like me as a black uh, woman, Christian conservative. I've always said that I am treated like a middle-aged white man, which is not too good in this, so this society. So it's almost like if you're a conservative, your uh, black card gets wiped out altogether. And in the words of Joe Biden, you ain't black. If right. you're not a Democrat, then you ain't black. Right, which that in itself is an oppression on people because how is that fair? You have conservative values. You have religious values. You're just a person. That's you know, they right. want to attack or, or attach this racism thing no matter which way it goes. There are so many great African-American conservatives that don't get two seconds in the media because they don't follow the rule. And uh, Joseph, we're going to take another break. And when we return, I want you to tell our audience about uh, Chasing Justice and also about your Pangaro training program. Hello, I'm Carol Swain of Be The People. I'm proud to endorse Patriot Mobile, America's only conservative cell phone network. After years of dealing with big cell phone companies, I made the decision to support a business that supports my conservative Christian values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide phone service at an affordable price. Most importantly, a portion of the money you spend is given to organizations that support the sanctity of human life, gun rights, and religious liberty. There are no long-term contracts or hidden fees, and unlimited plans start as low as $25 a month. So do me a big favor. Contact Patriot Mobile at patriotmobile.com forward slash carol 
or call 972-HATRED. When you mention Code Carol, you'll get your activation fee waived and receive a free gift for switching service. Switch today and start supporting a company that supports your values. I'm back with my guest, Joseph Pangaro, and we're talking about law enforcement. And Joseph, uh, use the remaining time, we have a few minutes here, to tell our audience about uh, Chasing Justice and also about what you're doing right now. Sure, Carol, thank you so much for that opportunity. Chasing Justice is a program on the America Out Loud uh, radio network. You find it at AmericaOutloud.com. My show is on every day at 3 p.m. on weekdays. It's the whole title, when I tried to come up with a good title, Chasing Justice, is not just about law enforcement. It's about finding justice in every instance where justice is deserved. So whether it, it is uh, a law enforcement type of thing, we talk about that. If it's about you know how people get along with each other, where is the justice there? What, where is religious justice in the world? It's about finding those instances where justice can be a powerful thing in people's lives and identifying, talking about it, bringing it out. So if anybody's interested, you can find me there. It's on the internet, americaoutloud.com, 3 p.m. Uh, my company is True Security Design. Okay, so after I left uh, police work, I was a school security director, uh, and now I teach and train people. I train law enforcement officers in police work, investigative type of things. We train schools, businesses, houses of worship, how to be safe and secure uh, by doing threat assessments and training and, and, and things like that. The newest thing that I started with a good friend of mine, um, Lieutenant George Corbin from the Asbury Park Police Department. George and I say that, uh, you know, we're brothers from another mother because uh, George is an African-American guy. I'm a white guy. But we got along great as police officers. And as we two retired cops now, we both see our police officers being pummeled all across the country, physically and, and verbally. And we see the communities that we serve are also suffering. And they're, they're, people are trying to say something. And we said, well, how can we help bring people's voices together so we can hear what people say, not just what, what, what people want to tell us is going on. What are the communities really saying? What do they really need for us to hear? And how do we bring our law enforcement families together so that we can all get along? So we, we started that. And it's the, uh, the, the Blue Heart Network is what we're calling it. Uh, I'm on Facebook, so you can look up me, Joe Pangaro, or, or go to the Blue Heart Network. And that's our goal, is to bring our communities, all of them that we serve, together with our law enforcement officers, find that common ground, hear the concerns that people have, and address them properly so that we can try and heal some of these wounds. Because if we don't, Carol, we are not going towards a good place. Uh, our country cannot stay this divided, this anxious, this upset, this angry. It cannot go on like this. It will not survive. Uh, America is a unique uh, country in all of mankind, but it is not uh, something that can't hold on forever. It has, people are, are the essence of a country, and if we're not all brothers and sisters, it's going to suffer. So those are the kind of things I'm dedicating my life to now, to try and bring people together. Uh, it's the right thing to do, and I feel good about it. Well, thank you so much for being on the Be The People show, and it has been an honor and I salute you again for your service and for your dedication to America. And I hope that my listeners will check out uh, what you're doing, that they will be kind to a police officer today and every day and realize the tough job that you all have and that they will stand up and be 
this we the people in the preamble of the constitution that they will be the people who change our nation and our world and right now we need to change the environment for police officers until next time